0: All right. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2nd Peter chapter 1. And let's enter the new year with this word. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 5 through 9. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. Now, uh, if you guys are new to our church, uh, I've been preaching in previous weeks that 2012 for our house is the year of increase. So 2008 was the year of new things. 2009 was the year of open doors. The Davidic key, the letter written to the Church of Philadelphia, that the door that God has opened, no man can shut. And doors that we shut, no man can open. 2010 was the year of epic faith. It was a year of stretching for us. A year of great testing, if you will. 2011 for New Philly was the year of intimacy. And God really brought intimacy. Now, I don't know if you feel more intimate with your neighbors. You feel more intimate with God. But you have to understand that what God has established here in 2011, the teaching on sonship, I mean, we had the teaching, but we didn't really have the revelation of it. How many of you guys know you can know the doctrine of the Word of God, but still lack the revelation of it? Head knowledge doesn't necessarily transform. It's when you get that spirit of revelation. It's when God goes to His Word. And His words go from the pages, the letters on these pages, and the words become spirit and life to you. That's when the Word of God becomes revelation. And then this year, we got a revelation of the spirit of sonship. And God established it here in this house. God birthed forth many sons and daughters. He broke off that orphan spirit. You know, some of you, man, you guys were best friends with the orphan spirit. Some of you in here, maybe you're still struggling with that. Yeah, the orphan spirit, you know what it looks like. It's where you're constantly looking for acceptance. You perform. You serve in church. But your motive is really to perform, to earn God's love, to earn people's acceptance. It's that striving mentality. And then when, what, just when you start getting intimate with people, you move on to somewhere else. Because you're afraid. Yeah, there's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of intimacy because there's a fear of rejection. An orphan spirit, man. Especially in Asian churches. I mean, I guess a lot of churches, but Asian churches in particular, man, we struggle with that orphan spirit. God, start breaking that off of people. You know know what some people do with with the orphan spirit? You know, we we prophesy over them. We bless them. We love them. We do small group with them. You know what they do? They go out and sin in ways that they never even sinned before. You're like, what are you? what are you doing? You've never done that before in your life. Why are, you going to why, are you, why are you doing that? And it's actually out of the orphan spirit that some people do that. And if you don't understand that, you might be like, oh, that guy that guy is just backslidden now. No, no, no. You see, it's out of deception that they, they fell into that sin. If, you, if you're able to really see from God the Father's heart, from God the Father's eyes, you know that it's just temporary. So all you've got to do is speak truth and shepherd them back to rightness with God. And it's actually a lot easier than you think. You know what I mean? We've had uh, people on leadership this year who are on the process of restoration. And I won't tell you what they did. But, you know, you can figure it out. No, don't figure it out. <laughs> <clears throat> don't take a guess. Don't, don't think about it. But, yeah, they were put on restoration for different reasons, right? Uh, drugs. Uh, uh, hey, why am, I, why am I listening? Anyway, there's different reasons why you would be on there. And some of them were doing great. It wasn't like they gradually started doing bad with God and then they sinned. It was like they were like, and then. And they just think it's such a big hole now, such a big failure now. They can't dig themselves out. That's a lie, the enemy. They're actually still here. And, and they, sometimes they just need a father. They need a small group leader. You know what I mean? To just shepherd them out of that place. Take off the blinders. Say, this is truth. What you did doesn't define who you are. What Christ has done has once for all defined who you are. You are a new creation in Christ. So get up off the get up. You are my don't you know who I who you are? That's Pastor Robert Daniels. He did that over at Hillside. It was so funny. He got so excited, he was like, You are my son. Pick yourself up. Right, That's what you need. You need a you need a spiritual leader to do that sometimes. Right, And uh, yeah, for for our church, if you're on leadership and you do something stupid like that, we do take you off of leadership. Other churches don't do that. We do. Because, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to get restored. You got to put your portion in. You got to be committed. You got to be committed to the process, too. We don't just have you pray one prayer and then say, OK, you're fine now. I mean, we gotta, you got to walk it out. you got to show us that you're going to avoid the, the drugs or whatever you've done. Right? you you got to show us. You know? And so we bring you through the process. And once you've completed the process, things like coming out to swim, you're committed, all these things, of membership. Once you've completed the small groups and everything, then we restore you. So uh, uh, the past Saturday, a couple of Saturdays ago, we had three leaders that were on the process of restoration. And it was our first time restoring Uh, leaders off the restoration process and establishing them back as leaders. And those three people, man, they were so happy. And when I saw them stand up and they weren't like this, they weren't ashamed, they stood up and they knew they were forgiven by God and by the community. They knew they had a new beginning. They knew that they can now begin to serve and not have to be held back by their shame. There's no combination in Christ Jesus. It was like the gospel message alive when they stood up and we all started clapping for them. It's amazing. How do I get off on that? It's good stuff. What was I talking about? Orphan spirit. That's right. God in 2011. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Established us in sonship and sonship is key to intimacy not in one year before a lifetime so today i'm going to unpack that implication of sonship for this house by preaching this word and uh the new bulletins don't have my sermon titles in it anymore and i kind of like that because for the last four years i've had to submit my title and so there's no uh element of surprise. There's no I can't do it uh what is it, didactically? What what was it? Where you uh do it little by little by little and then you get to the main point. I could never do that, because you get the main point. The moment you look at the PowerPoint. So anyway, we've redone the uh the bulletins so that they get printed earlier on Saturday. You don't have the sermon title, all right, because the sermon titles right here. And I will give it to you as I preach this word. So it's kind of uh a, a new step for me as well. Oh, by the way, before, before I go on to preach, I got to say this, right? You know, I love what God is doing here in our church. It's pretty amazing. Never been part of a church like it. And I'm just so amazed at the fruit, so amazed at the atmosphere. I'm so amazed at the power of God that shows up. Uh, and I love what God's doing uh, at Hillside. And, you know, I've sewn in my blood, sweat, and tears into that campus. You know what I mean? I've been leading that campus from 2008. And the, the church plant team that's planted this campus, they are from Hillside. They're sons and daughters, right? And God's brought Hillside, and there's something amazing that's happening at Hillside. And the worship services, they're amazing. And I I always try to say that what's going on there, all the glory, all the manifest presence, that's for Itaewon. It's our inheritance. It's part of the DNA of the family. It's for Busan. It's for any other plant we do. But I also want to recognize that Itaewon is really special. Can I say that? And I think there's nothing wrong with celebrating the uniqueness of each campus. And I, I think this is really cool because I think every new campus we do, it's going to be unique. There are going to be things that we can celebrate there that we can't celebrate at other campuses. And there is an amazing um, creativity here at e one Our talent shows are turning into e one shows. So yeah, you, uh, I was really impressed by the uh, skit that Hannah Yoon and Elizabeth and Chris Prasad and uh, Sarah, yeah. When they, when they did that skit, I was blown away. It was so amazing. They really got Pastor Marcus good. They remember all these little details from his spoken word piece, and they, they, did, they did like a parody of his spoken word. It was so creative. I was like, I wish I thought of that. And uh, there is something unique and special here that we definitely can celebrate. God has brought together a group of amazing, creative, and and, and it's a little more multi-ethnic definitely here than it it is at Hillside. Hillside is very multi-ethnic as well, but man, it's it's, uh, a lot less Koreans here. It's good it's good aaron and i were talking about in the car how ironic it is that we have to come to korea all our lives we live in the most multi-ethnic city in the world you know we we live and we're surrounded by new york city and we go to churches where there's only one ethnicity represented each sunday morning and we have to come to korea to be part of a multi-ethnic congregation but, you know, like my college mentor prophesied. He said, I see a vision. It's all these young people. Oh, my God, hallelujah. <laughs> Christian, you multi-ethnic. I just see multi-ethnic. It's a multi-ethnic congregation, and the spiritual gifts are in operation. You know, and he prophesied that way back in 2004, 2003, around that time. And uh, I always thought, you know, it was my church in New Jersey. But, you know, they never move in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> They're never moving the spiritual gifts, you know. And uh, God has really established a powerful, amazing campus, amazing church here. Very proud to be, uh, uh, to be fathering this type of uh, movement. And uh, praise the Lord. I celebrate One campus here. You guys, you guys are a delightful bunch. Let's get into Second Peter right here. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 5 through 9. I'm going to read in the ESV. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours. And are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says here. To make every effort, say, make every effort. make every effort. He says, to make every effort to supplement your faith with the following qualities. And he says, it's not like a yes or no. Do you have it? Yes or no? It's not like that. He says, you must, you must, if these qualities are yours, you must have them. But he says, not only do you have them, yes or no, but have them in increasing measure. What are these seven qualities? Okay, number one, virtue; second, knowledge; third, self-control; fourth, steadfastness; fifth, godliness; sixth, brotherly affection; and seven, love. Peter says, "If you lack these qualities in increasing measure." If all you got is, Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. You have the knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you don't supplement your faith with these seven qualities to that basic Christianity that you already possess, if you don't supplement it, it says you will render yourself ineffective and unfruitful. I don't know about you. But you do not want to come to the end of your life and have lived an unfruitful one. That's not a good thing. The goal is not to get to heaven. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's perfect will is done at all times. But on earth, it is not. So it is up to his people to pray his will be done in situations where there's injustice, corruption, human trafficking. We confront those issues and say, God, your kingdom come into this, into this. We see all these fortune tellers and we say, no, God, your kingdom come onto this street. You know what the fortune tellers are really doing here? They are competing with the voice of the Lord. People are looking for a supernatural spiritual source that will tell them the secrets of their future. There is a source that has those secrets. That's the voice of the Lord. But instead, people go to these mediums, these shamanists, these fortune tellers all over the street here. And it is a counterfeit of the prophetic gifts of God. And when we pray God's kingdom come, we're saying, God... Invade this area, invade the street. May these fortune tellers lose their demonic powers. May fortune tellers get saved. You know, when a fortune teller gets saved, they're powerfully prophetic. That's dangerous because you need to make sure they're healed and delivered. Because they're mixed their gifts. They can mix. Their, I've seen people mix their gifts between divination and prophecy. They go back and forth. They're, they're, they have uh, gifts of discernment very easily because they've already been seeing into the spirit realm. And when God saves them, he doesn't say, oh, let me get rid of all those demonic gifts. He, God actually turns it around for his good. He says, actually, now I'm going to sanctify those gifts. Actually, Satan was riding on gifts that I already put in you. I'm going to sanctify them. Now I'm going to use them for my kingdom. But, you know, people, they need to get healed and delivered. And when they don't, they mix the gifts. They go back from divination That's why you need like a good spiritual mentor, father to, you know, to father you. You know what I mean? Anyway, we are praying for the kingdom of God to come here in Itaewon. And God is doing it. God is doing it. There will be a day where Itaewon, many and all of the brothels will have shut down. All of the homosexual saunas that are here, the transgender bars. They will all go out of business because there's no customers. All their former clientele will be up at New Philadelphia Church. You know what I'm talking about? And they will stop giving money to these things. They will bring their finances to God for good purposes. Now, there are seven qualities that are listed here. You possess them in increasing measure and God... And and this word says then then you it will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Um, that means you will be effective, you will be fruitful if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Now today I want to focus on the sixth quality. By the way, he says whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. How many of you in here, if you take off your contacts or glasses, glasses glasses, glasses, <laughs> I was like, Urkel. <laughs> Hi Lara uh, if you take off your glasses, you are practically blind. Raise your hand if you're practically blind. You can't see. Like I can put like this paper in front of you, like here, and you just can't see it. You won't even see the paper. All right. Uh, praise the Lord. We have contacts and glasses. And LASIK. You know. I looked up some mama's jokes. I'm, I'm going to do some mama's jokes real quick. You know, when you grow up, you know, people make fun of you for having glasses, right? And even when your glasses aren't thick, your friends make fun of you still, you know? Well, here's some mama jokes. Your mama's glasses are so thick, when she looks at a map, she can see people waving. Your mama's glasses are so thick, she can see into the future. Your, ma- your, glasses, your mama's glasses are so thick, a blind person could see within. All right, you get the point. When you are so nearsighted, when you are nearsighted, your your eyes get so bad that you're so nearsighted, you're practically blind. You should not never get behind a vehicle. You should really not step out of your house. You know what I mean. And the Bible says when you're not possessing these seven qualities in increasing measure, you're like a person that's so nearsighted they're practically blind. Your Christian faith has no perspective by which to process the world around you. You're not able to look into a situation and, and say God can invade that. God can heal that. You, don't, you can't look into a person and all you see is their exterior. All you hear is what they say to you. But a spiritual man, a spiritual woman can look at a person and hear one thing, but discern, oh, this person needs some prayer in this area. This person needs discipleship. This person's got an orphan spirit. This person is already walking in favor and sonship. You know, like Aaron and I, we, uh, we met some Taiwanese girl just now at Hillside. And um, she came up to us. Taipei. Yeah, Taipei is in Taiwan. Excuse my wife. She's not so strong with geography. But uh, she came up to us and she was like, Hey, Pastor Christian, remember me? You've prayed for me before. And I was like, yeah. Where again? And she's like, yeah, I was at Niagara Conference and you prayed for me last year. And, you know, I totally did not remember her face. Can't remember what I prayed for. And she remembered what I prayed for. So she said, well, you prayed for me for this and that. Right? And in that moment... Instead of panicking or trying to figure out my memory, I had to see her in the spirit. <laughs> I saw her in the spirit, right? Now, I could have been off. But when we offered to pray for her, when I pray for her, I pray for her by discerning what's in the spirit, right? And so, yeah, she's not, I didn't see no orphan spirit on her. So I was like, just praying. You're walking already in favor, girl. You, you're already, you're already, you've already been stewarding what God's given you. He's going to he's give you more. You know, all this stuff. And then Aaron prayed next. And then she was like, she was like all silent when I was praying. And then the moment Aaron started praying, she's like, Amen! Yes! Yeah! I was like, how come I ain't getting under that? I said very similar things. It's up. It's up with that. Anyway, my, Aaron has got that strong gift of prophecy, you know? And, uh, and anyway, she, she, we saw her in the spirit. And we saw that, man, this is an incredible plans of God for this girl. And she's going to, she, there's divine appointments for her. And we, we just released it. You know what I mean? But when you're nearsighted, so nearsighted, you're practically blind. When you're not increasing in these seven qualities. And I'm not just talking about spiritual gifts. you got to increase in self-control. You want to minister consistently in the house of God. You want to go out on the streets and bring people to Christ. You have to increase in self-control. What self-control got to do with it? Self-control has a lot to do with it. You need to increase in knowledge. You know, you have a limited number of days on this earth to get into the knowledge of God. There's so much knowledge of the world. Now, you can kind of get some of that to discern and and differentiate. But you got to get into the knowledge of God. how How many Christian books are you reading? You know? How often are you studying the Bible besides your quiet time? You know what I mean? You got to get into the knowledge of God. Those things, all these things got to grow. But I'm going to focus today on the sixth one, which is brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. Uh, The word here for brotherly affection is in the Greek, the word Philadelphia. Everybody say Philadelphia. Now, our church is called New Philadelphia, and we're named after the church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. But the Greek word Philadelphia just simply means, it's translated in English, brotherly love, brotherly affection, or brotherly kindness. Okay? And so, in the Greek, there are three words for love. You guys never got this. You should get this now, right? Three words. Agape, phileo, and eros. Agape, phileo, and eros. Now, in English, it's just one word, love. But in the Greek, it differentiates between different kinds of love. The eros love, this is where we get the word erotic. Okay? It is the physical attraction, sexual attraction. Desire love. Now, eros love, the devil tries to make it dirty. But we got to understand, eros love is not dirty. Within, within the marriage covenant, you got to have eros. If you don't have eros in your marriage, you're in trouble. And I mean, you got to make efforts. We learn, married couple, we are learning, you know, after that first year of marriage, I mean, you got to make an effort to continue to keep that eros love burning. That's eros. Phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia. Phileo is brotherly love. Brotherly affection. And third is agape. Agape is the love the Bible says God loves us with. It is the unconditional, sacrificial love of our God. Is agape love. Jesus commands us, love the Lord your God. It is written, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That is the word agapeo. Agapeo the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second commandment is like it. Agapeo your neighbor as you agapeo yourself. Okay. So the Greek word agape is oftentimes when I was growing up, I heard that the agape form of love is the supreme form of love. Because Jesus shows us his sacrificial, greater love has no one than this, that he will lay down his life for his friends. So we always hear about the agape love of God. But it's so put up there as supreme that no one ever preaches about the phileo love. So I want to preach about the phileo, the Philadelphia love. All right, today. Okay, so stay with me here, right? Um Jesus says uh in Matthew 5 you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be your sons of your father in heaven now the word love there is agapeo everyone say agapeo, agapeo. It says agapeo your neighbor and hate your enemy but i tell you no Agapeo your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. You walk in true sonship. Jesus is saying, you got to love not just your neighbor. Not just the Lord your God. But you got to do crazy love. You got to love your enemies. Now, the thing about the uh, agapeo love is. Agapeo love. There is a risk of the love not being reciprocated. For example, Jesus commands us love your enemies. If you love your enemies, some of them, because you love them and they're like, why are you loving me? I've done all kinds of awful things to you. How could you love me? When you love your enemies, that can actually win them to Christ. That can open up their hearts to come back to God, things like that, right? But it's not guaranteed. You guys know that, right? So in other parts of Scripture, it actually says, take not vengeance. Don't take revenge. Because the vengeance is the Lord's. It is mine's to repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy does something awful to you, bless them. Do good to them. And in doing so, you're heaping burning coals upon them. So if you really are smart, And you really don't like your enemies. Or you really don't like the person that that hurt you or whatever, right? All you do is love them and bless them. And you're setting them up for God's judgment. That's strange, right? So it's it's sort of like, man, I I can't stand you. I can't believe what you've done to me. But you forgive them. They say, well, no, but I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to hold that against you. And although you continue to mistreat me, I'm going to be good to you. And then the other person's like, well, you're an idiot, knucklehead, pushover, you know? But what they don't know is every time you do a good deed, every time you bring them a cup of coffee, it's actually like a burning coal that you're placing on their lap. <laughs> I hope you turn, but I don't mind if you don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a scripture. Let's just be real, right? There are, there are, not everybody's going to come to Christ, right? We don't believe in universalism here, right? Not everyone's going to come to Christ. You don't know who, who, who it is. Some of your enemies will. Some of your enemies won't. All right? As much as you want to come up with the theory that Kim Jong-il is, you know, prayed a sinner's prayer before he died, I mean, I got news for you. There's no evidence that he did. Some people in North Korea today, Christians in North Korea today, they are confident in the fact that Kim Jong-il is burning in hell. I think you will be too if you were under his oppression and torture. In the concentration camps. Or you're hiding out in China. Or you're sold into sex slavery, sex slavery in China. Because of what Kim Jong-un has done. Anyway, I'm not getting on to that. Man, I always get on to that topic. It's so weird. Now let's come back. Let's come back. Let's come back. God commands us to love agapeo our enemies. But here's something God doesn't command us to do. He doesn't command us to phileo our enemy. Because phileo is a different kind of love. Okay? Let me read to you here uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It says, It says this. It says, Since God is Father and men are His sons, they are therefore brethren of one another. As sonship is the most essential factor in man's right relation to God, so is brotherhood in his relation to his fellow man. But man's sonship to God may be potential or actual. He may not respond to God's love or know his fatherhood. Likewise, love to a fellow man may not be reciprocated and therefore may be incomplete. Yet it is the Christian's duty, like God, to maintain his position, this position of love and benevolence to those who hate and curse him. Love your enemies. But within the Christian community, love should respond to love and find its fulfillment. For there, all men are, or should be, God's sons, actually. Because the love of God had been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which was given unto us. And this mutual love within the Christian brotherhood is called Philadelphia. Okay, what's it saying here? It is saying, here's the thing, right? This past year, God gave us revelation of sonship. Why did he do that? First of all, sonship... Regards, our relationship with God. Through the blood of Christ, God, God not only forgives, but He declares us justified. Meaning, when the prodigal son comes back, the father just doesn't say, "Okay, I forgive you what you've done." Now, the prodigal, the father of the prodigal son story, the father puts a ring on his finger, clothes a robe on his back, sandals on the feet, and throws a party. That's not a picture of forgiveness. I don't know if you noticed, but the last time you forgave somebody that did something terrible to you, you didn't want to throw a party for them. Any of y'all done that? That's crazy. What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? Just forgive them. That's enough. Nobody in here. You, you here, Here's a gift. What's it for? Because I just forgave you. No, it, it's not. It's not a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of justification. Meaning God declares you Righteous. It's a legal, lawful term. God says, you are righteous. Now, in order for you to be righteous, not only do you have to avoid sin, you have to do righteous things out of a righteous heart. Right? And so the, the cross of Jesus Christ not only forgives us, but imputes. Stay with me if you, want, if you want to learn some theology. There's an imputation of Christ's righteousness that is freely given unto us. That we can, by faith, take ownership over. We don't have to treat it like a foreign righteousness. We can treat it like our own. So the the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. There are a lot of Old Testament images of robes and clothes of righteousness. Garments, beautiful garments. You know, and that's, at, and so, um, so here's the thing. Where, where am I going with that? All right, let me come back. Come back. All right, yeah, sonship. Hallelujah. So when we when we get established in sonship, it establishes a right relationship with God. Uh, a, a true, a, a, we get a view of our relationship with God that is in truth, rather than one that is in fear because of our sin, condemnation, because we keep messing up. But no, we can stand rightness with God at all times. And when we mess up, we just simply confess and claim the blood of Christ. And it's, that's it right there. You feel dirty one moment because of something stupid you've done. And then all you do is pray and believe and boom, you don't have to feel dirty no more. By faith, you're, you're done. It's done. It's done. It's done. And, and in the New Testament, it's always past tense. You have to understand. We are justified. It's not we are being justified. We are justified. Now, for, so in God's eyes, it's a done deal. Okay? So now, if sonship's established. What does this open up? This opens up incredible intimacy for the people of God. Not only with Him, but for each other. Because if we're all established in sonship, in this Christian community here. And by the way, we need a community. If we didn't have a community where people are making commitments... It will be so hard to find a group of people you can kind of trust. If there are people just in and out, coming out to church on a whim, I would not recommend you go into a house like that and try to start trusting people, opening up about your sins, opening up about your life. They might go gossip about it. They might go and betray you with that information. You know what I mean? But in a local church where there's commitments being made by people, sonship's established. That opens up the door for intimacy between all the sons and daughters of God. Now we have brotherhood established. In 2011, God established sonship and he also established brotherhood. All right, this is not just African-American term. You know, it's so funny. It's so funny. When I was growing up in Philly, I kid you not, true story. About fourth grade. All right, I'm still learning English. Like second grade, I was taking ESOL. Third grade, I got a little better in English. Fourth grade, I'm getting a little bit better, right? And I'm starting to learn, you know, black culture because I'm surrounded by so many African Americans. You know, my school, uh, every year, first grade, there were like, there were like four Jewish, four Jewish kids, five Puerto Ricans, one Cambodian, three Koreans. And then maybe two white people besides the Jews. And, uh, the, the rest were African American. Second grade, right? The Jews get cut in half. There's only two left. Uh, one more Cambodian. You know, anyway, third grade comes around. Anyway, it gets, it gets less. Anyway, by, um, by the time I graduated in, in eighth grade, I mean, it was like majority, I was surrounded by African Americans. That's why, You know, I'm very uh, uh, myself. That's the way I am because, you know, my formidable years were influenced. And anyway, true story. In fourth grade, I didn't know what brother meant. Now, I'm not talking about brother. I'm talking about brother, right? And so my black friends, they were like, brother, brother. They were all calling each other brother, right? And I was like, I got in on that and I was like, Yeah, brother, right there. They were—they all stopped. They're like, "What?" And then one of the uh, friends—he took me aside. He's like, "Man, you—you can't use that term. That—that's what—that's what what black brothers. That's what—that's for black brothers only. That's for black people to use on black black people." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no. You got it. You got it wrong. The term brother is talking about brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ." (laughs) kid you not. True story. I said that. Just like that. And he just busted out laughing right in front of my face. But I was so serious. I didn't laugh. And I was no, you're wrong. We should all call each other brothers because I know some of you are Christians and we're all brothers in in Jesus Christ. And the guy's like, nah, man. That's not how it's used, all right? And I didn't believe him. And... Over the months after that, I realized that I was wrong. Um, but the term stuck. I continued to use it. And so I started using it on my Asian friends, and my Asian friends started using it back on me. Now, it, I, I didn't use it just on Christians. I used, used it on everybody. Because it sounded good after a while. Because, you know, they make it sound good. So I just kept using it, and, and you know. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Marcus. Keep. Hey, Troy, all right, Troy. Okay, brother. Kept using it. Kept using it. And, uh... But here's the thing, man. When I, when, I, when I got to high school, I started using it in my youth group. Right? I'm telling you right now. Back in the days, man, Korean Americans in churches, they didn't use the term bro, bro and brother and stuff like that. That evolved during the 90s. Guess who helped with that? took an Asian-American, all right, who had a misunderstanding of the term to, to import it. I exported it. I exported it to the Asian culture, Asian church culture. Anyway, we can call each other brother and sister. Uh, in the church and, and back in the days, you know, the, some churches did use that, right? And it's accurate. Why? Because we are in sonship. We are all brothers and sisters. Now, I don't like the term all God's children. That's inaccurate. Right, if you if you have that shirt on, or you have you use that term, all, we're all God's children, and you're in the church, that that could be accurate. But if you go around telling everybody, hey, you know what, you know, racism, I mean, we should destroy racism because we're all God's children. Well, then you got to predefine what children means. You mean if we're created by God, then all right, we're all God's children. But if you mean we are the children of God, no, not everybody's all God's children. You know what I'm saying? But those in the body of Christ, we are all God's children. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether you're half Korean or you're fully Korean or you grew up in Korea or you grew up in Philadelphia. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. It don't matter what language you, you speak. Now, in the new year, I believe that God is calling us to increase in Phileo love, in Philadelphia love. Brotherly love for each other. And as that brotherly love increases, fruitfulness will increase. Like we don't have to like go, we got to be fruitful. We got to be fruitful. We got to be fruitful. Now you ever look at a tree, it doesn't, it doesn't go, oh, i got to produce fruit. (laughs) (sighs) Right? I've done this before. Trees don't make an, they don't exert energy in order to, they just be themselves. All we got to do is be ourselves. Let's increase in being ourselves as sons and daughters of God. Uh, it says in First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10. Now concerning Philadelphia, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, to agapeo one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Whether it's agapeo love or phileo love, the Bible calls us to increase in it more and more. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 says, Love must be sincere. That's agapeo. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in Philadelphia. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Everyone say, be devoted. devoted. We got to be devoted to each other. You can't devote yourself to love your enemy. God doesn't call you to do that. You know what I mean? Why? Because when you love your enemy, there's no chance. It may or may not be reciprocated. But in the body of Christ, it is a natural expectation. You love somebody, you're going to expect them to love you back. And there should be an increasing devotion to one another in brotherly love. And it even says outdo one another in showing honor. That's awesome. Honor always sets up an atmosphere where brotherly love can really flourish. Now, here's the thing that I want to emphasize before I close here. In the definition of the word phileo, which means brotherly love, right? To love. It's a verb for to love, phileo. It also says to approve of, to like, to sanction, to treat affectionately or kindly, to welcome, to befriend, to show signs of love, to kiss. I want to focus on to like. Check this out. The Bible tells us to love our enemies, to agape our enemies, sacrificial love. Do what's unconditional. Do what doesn't come naturally. Do it in faith. But the Bible never tells us to phileo your enemies. You're, you're to love them, but you don't have to like them. But well, here's the thing. In the church... God calls us all not only to sacrificially love each other and serve each other and do all these Christ-like things for each other. He says, y'all got to phileo each other. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) We, Y'all got to love each other with brotherly love. That means y'all got to like one another. Don't you understand that when I sent my son to save you, I gave you the gift of everlasting life. You don't live that everlasting life alone. These people that are in the church that some of them annoy you you got to deal with them for eternity. So guess what God in heaven thinks he's like man get in the habit of liking each other now. It'll be better for your eternity. I know mean, how much delight does that bring to God. You know like you know like you know, we have our sister Judy here, right? She's, she's, uh, she's been staying with us for, for this past year. And then our intern pastor, Emily, uh, she's been staying with us as well. You know? And uh, in the beginning, they had separate rooms because Joanne was around, and uh, Joanne just found her place, so she got her crib. But before that, Joanne and, and Judy were sharing a room, and then Emily was in the other room. But then, you know, when Joanne found her place, I was like, Emily, you need to, you need to vacate my office, I need a place to study. I got Greek crash courses coming up. All right. You gotta, you gotta go same room with Judy. All right. Now, I knew they would get along, but I was a little concerned. You know, they, they come from different cities, different backgrounds. Emily's Chinese American. Judy's, uh, um, Twinkie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Judy's, uh, Korean American. And, uh, I was a little concerned. But from day one, when they moved in together and they, They were getting along. Not only were they getting along, they were liking each other. You know how much peace that brought my heart? That I don't have to counsel them separately and be like, oh, tell me what Emily did. Oh, tell me what Judy did. Yeah, I know how she can be. Yeah, well, I know how Emily can be. You know, you know, I don't do that. They like each other. Well, God's got a lot more people he's got his eyes on and he's like y'all got to y'all got to learn like each other. You all got to learn to phileo each other. Cuz phileo is about finding love's reciprocation, completion, fulfillment. You know, the agape love of God finds its fulfillment in our in our in our salvation in us being given the gift of everlasting life. But you know, did you know that even with God the word phileo is used? In God's love for us and our love for God? Here, I'll, I'll, I'll quote here. John chapter... Here, I'll start with the Father's love for the Son. We would assume that when God... When Jesus talks about the Father's love for Jesus, He would only use the word agapeo, because that's the supreme form of love, right? But check this out. John chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. I'll just read verse 20. Jesus said to them, The Father loves the Son and shows them all that he himself is doing the word love there is phileo in other words the father phileos the son and shows them all that he himself is doing the father likes the son the father is not going i got to love you jesus by faith now, well, the father says, I like, I like my son. I love my son. Okay, so that, that's, that's father and son, right? But check this out. John 16. John 16, verse 27. In the NASB, it says, For the father himself loves you. Now, we, we know about agape. It's used over and over again. It's one of the few times it's actually not using agape. It says, the Father himself filial's you. The Father loves you. Because you have loved Jesus, you have loved me, and believe that I came forth from the Father. What, what, what am I saying? What am I saying? The Father himself, Jesus said, loves you. He filial's you. In other words, the Father likes you. It's not a popular message in denominational churches. I've never heard it in my life. I got it by revelation when I was talking to different men of God. This is powerful revelation. God likes you. He doesn't love you just because He's God and I sent my Son to die, so I have to love you now. You're covered in the blood of my Son. So, oh, I gotta love you. It's not just the agape. God likes you. He likes your hair. Whatever kind of hair you have. Or the amount you have. He likes your height. Likes your height. If you're too tall or too short, there ain't no too tall before God. God doesn't say you're too short. No, that, oh, no, no, no. That is the words of the enemy. God said, I made you that height. Yeah. Just right. God likes your personality. And so, a and religious voice will speak up and say, what about my sin? What about my failures? What about my hypocrisy? Hey, check this out. Let me get, tell you something about hypocrisy. Here's a revelation that I got dropped on when I was a young man that you need to really tune into. Here's the thing about hypocrisy. A lot of religious Christians, they beat themselves over the, over the head over the fact that they're hypocrites. And they are, because they say one thing and do another. They sing praise songs and they go back and, and sin in different ways, right? There's a hypocrisy. But let me tell you about hypocrisy. There's two kinds of hypocrisy. Among the 12 apostles, there are two, two kinds of hypocrites. Judas and Peter. Peter said, I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll never leave you. You cannot go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And if Jesus really wanted to be real, he would have said, you hypocrite. Actually, he kind of does. He says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. What you have said is a lie. You're going to betray me, Peter. You hypocrite. There's a hypocrisy in what Peter did because he didn't follow through with what he said. But here's another thing. Judas was also a hypocrite. But here's the difference. Judas is the son of perdition. doomed for destruction. There's a certain kind of hypocrisy that on the day of judgment, people are going to come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and your name do amazing miracles? And Jesus is going to say, away from me. I never knew you. Hypocrites. Judas hypocrites. Okay? But we have to be careful that we don't take that passage and try to apply it to the people of God. I understand that certain parables, you might be able to do it, but I I really don't think it fits in the whole picture of the, the Council of Scripture. The Council of Scripture teaches us that the gift of everlasting life is a gift Justified is a past tense. It's something you receive, and once you receive it, God doesn't take it back. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Once the identity is established, you can go off and sin all you want. But the Father will always be waiting for your return. And he'll make sure you return. So if you feel like a hypocrite, here's, a, here's the thing. Here's, here's a word for you. Right? Don't be so hard on yourself. You're not a hypocrite. You're doing hypocritical things. It doesn't make you who you are. Who you are is defined by what Christ has done once for and for all. So even though you do hypocritical things, what you're doing is deception. Satan's just simply deceived you from who you truly are. So it's a temporary behavior, not a permanent one. If he can deceive you to believe it, it will go on for a long time. But once again, it's still temporary because where is your true identity? It's in what Christ has done. So let's say you do some stupid things. You sin. You, what about my failures? What about my hypocrisy? And God says, I still like you. <laughs> you're pretty amazing. Jasmine. I really like you. Candice, I think you're, you're awesome. Ariel, you're so cool. (laughs) Your sense of style, color coordination. I like it. You know what I mean? God likes you. And it's on that revelation that we as a people of God can truly learn to butterly love each other, start to like each other and appreciate the gold that's inside of each of us. But sometimes you got to do a little digging, right? Because there's a lot of dirt too. But some people, man, all they do is they just go up to a person and say, dirt, 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 man, look at this dirt that Judy has. Look at all this dirt. Ah, oh, I can't stand it. Dirt, 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 dirt. <laughs> no, no, we got we gotta dirt, all right, dirt, some dirt, all right, here. Gold right there. You see that? See our artistic gifts? You see, our heart for justice, gold, gold. And I was joking at Hillside that marriage is like gold mining. You're constantly having to dig through dirt to find the gold. And then you celebrate that. But you know, I heard the other day, Katy Perry got a divorce. She wasn't even married for like, what, a couple months or six months. I don't know how long it was. Short little, you know, in Hollywood, so many divorces, right? Why? Because it's like little orphans marrying each other. Little children marrying each other. And they don't understand that if they just dig a little more, they can find the gold. But they're so focused on the dirt. And they just move on to somebody else. let give you all the singles out there. Once you get married... You'll rejoice in a lot of things. But there will be other things that will make you mourn. (laughs) Will make you grieved. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. You keep digging. You keep digging and you make that marriage work. What God has joined together, let man not separate. And if you will be patient and gracious, both of you can bring forth so much gold. Pure, beaten, Beautiful gold that will reflect the glory of God. Close your eyes. Pray with me.